Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. This week, we're finishing The Undying King by Grace Draven, otherwise known as We Did Go Deeper. Hello, Jordan. <laughs> Hi, Katie. It's nice to see you. We've only been talking for an hour already. But that's okay. We just needed a dramatic like entrance. I feel like that's the worst part about the like recording these episodes is how do you start? Like, because you can't just cold call into the book, but also. <laughs> no, you can't. I, you know, I, I do most of the um, like editing and, and playback. Um, this is for all you dear listeners and readers. Um, and w- I seem to notice more often than not, we have this awkward laugh <laughs> at the start of every single episode. And it's just kind of our thing now. Yep. So uh, yeah, that's that's how we roll. That's the actual call in, like not the like fancy song and, you know, intro we have. It's like, oh, awkward laugh. Okay, now they're starting. <laughs> mm hmm. Well, uh, we are now jumping into part two of The Undying King, and um, I feel like we maybe need a little bit of like a caveat before we begin. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. We need a bit of a, a warning. Yep, here. yep. There is some uh, content for mature readers or mature content for mature readers or uh, wherever, you know, the adjectives I go. Think- <laughs> The the author's note on her website is graphic descriptions of physical intimacy. That's that's accurate. <laughs> that is what this is. Yep. <laughs> Several pages of it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, before we get to that part, though, there's still, you know, some uh, run up to the smutty, spicy scenes. Um, so where we left off was with uh, Imogen agreeing to hang out in Teneroth with Sedata. Is that what we agreed on? <laughs> I think we agreed on Sedata. Yeah, Sedata. Um, since she really doesn't have like anything better to do because like obviously her mom is dead and can't touch anyone or hang out with anyone. So like really what else does she have to do to fill her days? Um, and so like maybe, you know, he can help her break the curse too. So like she's just gonna, you know, hang out there in this abandoned city. Uh, well, at the same time, uh, the creepy old wizard, did we... What is his name? I don't know that we, I did we talk about creepy old wizard dude last uh, time? We did a little bit, um, because we just called him Mister Creepy Wizard, and I'm like, I don't think we named him. Uh, yeah, he does have a name. Does he? He he does. But we just <laughs> disregarded him. Uh, I can try. And, I'll pull it up while you while you keep going. Okay, because I referred to him as creepy old wizard throughout my notes. <laughs> I mean, I kind of prefer that anyway, but, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll look at it. Yeah, up. for, you know, uh, what is that phrase for something purposes? Uh, not contingency purposes, uh, authentication purposes? I have no <laughs> idea where you're going with this one. Oh, my God. My brain does not work. Uh, anyways, creepy old wizard. Etc. Etc. So uh, he gets worse because he's digging up Neve's body, 
uh, in this next cutscene that we get in the book. And he's planning with some sort of like fucked up necromancy power to animate her body so that he can interrogate her about where her daughter Imogen is. Uh, big yikes. Creepy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> There's a reason he's called a creepy old wizard. So uh, back in Tenerat, though, because we immediately get another cutscene back to the regular plot. And uh, we get Sedata's perspective, and it turns out that, like, well, yeah, he is able to touch Imogen without, like, immediately dying. Um, he's still kind of, like, kind of sort of dying, like, a little bit. Um, so apparently he's not, like, totally immune, just, like, immune enough to not immediately unalive himself. Uh, um, <laughs> are you Dratus? Stratus. Ew, yeah. Is the name. We're going with Creepy Even Old Wizard. <laughs> I can't say any of the names in this book. Not that that's out of character, but uh, <laughs> very much especially for this book. Um, Yeah, but also he kind of like notes that while he doesn't immediately die and he's like dying a little bit, um, touching Imogen oddly makes him feel more alive. Um, so he like kind of gets some like human feeling back when she's killing him, which is an odd dichotomy we're trying to explain, but it makes sense when you're reading it. Uh, anyways, he's having this like monologue as he's watching Imogen like sleep in a chair, which was like a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> that was a little, that whole scene where he like decides to just go in and observe her sleeping is yeah i mean i get it the dude's been alone for a thousand years he's probably very lonely yeah but i also don't love it <laughs> no yeah it's kind of giving me twilight vibes though when uh edward would like come in and just watch her sleep <laughs> yeah not not a healthy relationship no nope. at all nope. by any means not at all but it's fun to read yeah <laughs> well like imogen fell asleep in this chair and um sedata tells like this magic mist that's just like hanging out in the palace in the city uh, to make the room livable. And I don't know how this magic works or like the reader doesn't know at this point, but like all of a sudden the room's all like nice and tidy and clean. And he's just has this magic mist that is a servant of some sort. Okay. So have you picked up on the beauty and the beast vibes going on here? Not until you just said that. Uh, wow. Yeah. That, <clears throat> This is literally Beauty and the Beast. Holy fuck. I did not. <laughs> <sighs> so, okay. Uh, this is a bit of a, like, sidestep from our storytelling here. But uh, Grace Draven has has a dedicated Beauty and the Beast retelling. It's called Entreat Me. Mm. Um, oh, I've seen recommendations for it. it. I, don't, I don't think I've read it, though. I don't think it's as good as like Master of Crows. I mean, it's hard to like get anywhere close to Master yeah. of Crows, but it's also it's good. I think she plays around with the Beauty and the Beast like themes, but this is definitely a retelling. Mm, I did not even wow until you said that. Like as you were saying it, I'm like, yeah, this is literally Beauty and the Beast, but like the smutty version. Uh, so readers, yeah, Beauty and the Beast retelling. Uh, that was a live reveal for me again. <laughs> I think this is my favorite part about recordings is the live reveals that <laughs> happen so frequently. I'm just here for, you know, a good time, not a long time. 
Uh, yeah, so we don't understand really how the magic mist works, um, but just think of Beauty and the Beast and you will vaguely understand. Um, so it's the next day or later that same day and Imogen is kind of like walking around exploring the city and uh, we get the inevitable uh, training montage scene. <laughs> uh, so, you know, she hears some like clinging in the distance and she's like, oh, like, what is that? I need to go explore because I, mm, girl, I've seen enough horror films. Like, I'm not going to go, you know. In the direction of a battle? Yeah, no. investigate weird noises in a scary, creepy city where I'm the only living person. Like, no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> but of course, you know, she follows these noises and she sees uh, Sedata in some kind of like training area thing. Obviously with no shirt on, obviously. And um, Imogen, like reasonably, you know, speaking, she has limited experience with men is like dear lord with like the deep inhale <laughs> and she just kind of like oh. well okay <laughs> if you have zero experience with people and then you're like one of your major interactions with a person like up close is Sedana, who's like <laughs> this ungod like godlike human being of just masculinity like i mean I would sit and watch. <laughs> it's a fair response. <laughs> She's like, are all men like this? It's like, nope, not not really. But <laughs> you just got the good one. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, after this, though, we kind of get this like kind of awkward, uncomfortable scene um, where Imogen is like ogling him. And Sedata is like, do you want to touch the goods? And not like those goods, <laughs> but like more appropriate goods. Um, and she just kind of like fondles his chest for a little bit. <laughs> it's like a little weird because they're getting like an internal montage of the whole thing. But I was like, that's it's kind of odd. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, I think this would have been less weird had it been drawn out over like a full length book. Oh, frankly. I could see that because I think we talked about it maybe in the last episode or before we started recording that it kind of feels like an outline almost. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like maybe with some development or some like, uh, you know, flirty tension, this would be a little less weird. Uh, but yeah, she's just there like fondling him and uh, Sedata is like, yeah, this is great. But uh, OK, I, I need to interrupt Katie because you're <laughs> looking at your notes and you full on wrote she's getting her fondling on. <laughs> Well, what else was happening? That's that's a good descriptor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's perfect. I'm not complaining. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, but Sedata has this like dual because I think this is from his perspective. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Um, he has this kind of like dual feeling thing going on because he's like, oh yeah, like pretty lady touching my sweaty chest, nice, cool. Um, but also like he's being killed as this is happening and apparently that's a very pleasant thing for him which i guess if you're immortal it would be pleasant um so yeah he's getting like double pleasure from this moment he's both being killed slowly and being fondled uh yeah and it's kind of weird because he's also like thinking about death in this like cute romantic you know interaction that imogen is like oh my god i love him probably in her head uh, and he's like, death, and I can't wait to die, and I've been alive for too long. <laughs> like, that's kind of a weird... Actually, it kind of gives me Twilight vibes again. 
Yeah, this is very... Um, now that I think about it... <laughs> it's I, I think that's probably one of my biggest hangups, of, if any, with this book, is that any character that lives for thousands of years is just not going to interact like a normal human anymore. Yeah. And it's... Like, this dude is... Yeah, he's fucking weird. Um, like, the whole, like, kill me, please. Um, <laughs> yep, a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's just... It's not as if he's been hanging around for a couple millennia it's just like oh no i took a break from humanity for a little while but hi pretty lady yeah like, it's just a little uh yeah because i feel like this book does it um a little bit like better than some books i've read that have like immortal characters in it or like you know characters that have been around for like four or six hundred years or whatever because he does kind of have like what you were talking about that um like inhuman like lost his humanity vibe going on for a little bit mm -hmm. but then he has moments of like where he's maybe a little too human that i don't love like it's not um uniform or standard across the whole book no and it it kind of turns on right in time for him to have like a moment with imogen mm -hmm. is kind of how i read it but yeah. it it is done better like they didn't like grace draven didn't try and romanticize how brutal Sedata was, um, mm -hmm. which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like that kind of always loses me in those um, fantasy romance books where the character is, like, way older is how they still have their humanity and they're still not, like, romantic, but uh, can be very human and, like, not seem that old. But it's like, if you've been around for, like, four or 600 years, like, you've been around the block a couple times. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, we then, after this weird little like fondling incident, um, switch back again to creepy old wizard. And uh, disturbingly, he successfully resurrected Neve enough to talk to her and ask where her daughter is. And she gives him some like nonsense answers. Like she's somewhere that you'll never be able to find her. And he's like, that doesn't make sense. And also you're not supposed to lie. So I don't really understand what that means. Um, but eventually after enough questioning this, dead decaying body uh he connects the dots and gets immediately excited because oh goody uh i can find her and then i can find teneroth which is probably stuffed full of treasure and goodies that i get to get and i also get to the get the girl so like double win for very not that much effort that was probably not eloquent, but you know what I'm i know i think down. that was perfect because that's exactly how the scene goes he talks to creepy dead corpse gets his answers and sets off like the whole like this reads like an outline rather than a, like even a novella is spot on because you get just yeah. enough of the characters to want more but it's it's not enough because mm -hmm. i think this is only like 183 pages or something like it's short for how much is like stuffed in here um so after the little like creepy interview with a dead body thing uh, we fast forward three weeks-ish approximately and uh, Imogen and Sedata are like walking through Tenerith and they come across these names that are written on a statue. And uh, disturbingly, uh, Sedata reveals that it's the names of all 63 of his wives. Did you look up and confirm 63. like 63 wives? I did. Yep. I wanted the exact number. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> yeah. And um, also, if that you know, wasn't enough. Uh, he also reveals that he's had armies worth of children, including 17, 
who raised revolts against him, six, who attempted assassinations against him, and two, who almost succeeded. Uh, again, rapid. So this was disturbing to read, obviously. Uh, but like accurate, <laughs> given the, the setting, yeah. right? Exactly what I was going to say. Because again, all of these other books that have characters that have been around for like four or 600 years, they might say like, oh yeah, he's like been with other women or he's like, you know, he was married once before. But it's like, if you're around for that long, like at least Sedata is being honest and he's like, yeah, I've been married 63 times. Well, it's like, okay, thank you for realism a little bit. I love how he's like, look at me. I'm fucking hot. Like, of course I have 63 <laughs> wives. <laughs> Like, I, I was known as Sedata the Fair. Get on. Oh, my God. I don't know if that's verbatim, but if it's, like, very close to verbatim of what he says. <laughs> Which, I mean, fair. At least he knows, you know, he's being honest. Like, if you live forever, like, what are you going to do with your time? <laughs> I mean, Apparently get married and have kids. Yeah. <laughs> Which Lots of them. Also makes sense. <laughs> Um, but you know, uh, Imogen's a little like perturbed by this, but they continue their walk, uh, until they happen upon a library. Ooh, exciting. We all love characters who love books. Um, and so Sedata offers to read her, you know, whatever she wants, cause all of the scrolls are written in whatever Teneroth ancient language that nobody really speaks anymore. Um, and so she brings a few scrolls up to him that like, don't really turn out to be interesting. They're like crop statistics yeah, and I, remember, like, I think one is like notes. a yeah like weather forecasts um until uh she pulls out you know basically an old school scroll version of the karma sutra uh lol uh <laughs> that's yeah, but um, Sedata looks at it and he's like, oh, this is actually just a list of services offered by a local brothel because that is so much better. Okay, so interesting note, <laughs> and I don't know where I learned this little tidbit. Like, I don't know if it was a docuseries or reading it somewhere, but the, like, ancient Roman brothels did the same thing. Have you Like, have you heard of that? Like, they had, no. like, their very explicit services, like... <laughs> next to the door like in each I, I don't know oh my god i'm probably like <laughs> exaggerating a little bit or adding in what i thought what i i heard but i think it was something similar and i that it brought me right back to that because that's what makes me think that that this is, is a very so romanesque setting i could see that i love that this is like historically accurate then <laughs> like this isn't just some weird tidbit she's like no this is like a thing <laughs> I mean, it makes sense because if you have like an illiterate population, like they're not going to know the names for these things, but they can sure as heck recognize <laughs> what they look like. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, And so we obviously get this kind of like explicit scene, but then immediately following, we kind of get a internal monologue, like observation. And so like Imogen is kind of, you know, obviously infatuated with this girl. Cause she's like, Whoa, Jesus. Uh, but she also kind of is uh, not concerned, but she's like intrigued by the fact that Sedata like immediately loses interest in this girl. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's sex. And then he's like, okay, anyways. And then back to baseline. And uh, it makes sense because he's, you know, been around the block a time or two and he's done probably everything on that scroll hundreds, if not thousands of times. Um, 
But then Imogen kind of has like an existential crisis about the whole thing. And she assumes it's because the data is like not interested in her. Doesn't she like make like, a move on him in the library? Uh, I think so. And he like rejects her? Or maybe her. like, yeah, uh, maybe. Oh, no. Yeah. This isn't like the very next part. Okay. Um, so not rejected in the library, but, uh, rejected immediately after the library. Mm. <laughs> so that's sad. Uh, but they would like walk back to his rooms cause she's like, or Sedata is like, oh, uh, yeah, this scroll interesting. Well, I want to show you the murals that I have on my walls that would, you know, put the brothel scroll to shame because literally there are a bunch of murals on his bedroom walls that are, uh, explicit text acts. Uh, that's fine, <laughs> but we're given a, a another POV change, so it's from like Sedata's uh, point of view, and we get another internal monologue, which basically summarizes into like, if you've been alive for so long, you don't really feel anything anymore because you've felt it all so many times, and you're kind of like deaf now to feeling or emotion. Um, and he also kind of reveals for the reader that uh, Imogen's death hands are actually killing him just like slowly in little tidbits. And so it's kind of confusing because you're like, oh, is he actually interested in her or is he just interested in the fact that like she could potentially kill him and end his eternal suffering eventually? Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> this next scene is kind of like depresso and awkward. Uh, Imogen, uh, just, you know, sitting watching all of these murals on the wall. She's like, oh, Sedata, I want you to show me how to do all of these things. And uh, very forward. <laughs> um, that is that is definitely uh, one way that you can go about that. Uh, also interesting because like she's never even kissed anyone yet she's okay. soliciting to do <laughs> let, let me put a like a i don't know some support for imogen's way she went about this because i think part of her reasoning is like oh well he's done this thousands of times so like it shouldn't be like new for him or anything so like it wouldn't mean mm. anything to him so it would mean a lot to me nothing to him so it should be like oh let's just go for a walk in the park big deal for me but you've done it before so like why throw a girl a bone here i'm killing you do me a favor like, like well, i just realized i, I said think throw of it a that girl way, a bone but... here. <laughs> i mean it was it was on point it made sense oh my god <laughs> oh double entendre there for our dear listeners welcome, uh readers <laughs> oh um but imogen uh you know she immediately falls up that very direct brusque statement by uh moving forward to touch him again and then sedata kind of like panics because all of a sudden he's like actually feeling something because she's you know taking away his immortality every time she touches him and all of a sudden he's like wow i feel horny for the first time in <laughs> a millennium or so um, and then he kind of like panics. And so uh, he basically yells at her, don't touch me. And then he dips out. Uh, and Imogen, obviously, uh, after a stinging rejection like that, 
does what any teenager would do and cries very emo-ly in the rain. Um, cue the Paramore deep cuts, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was I an, another reason why I wish this this book had been fleshed out more because this could have been like a huge, like a very dark, depressive scene where you really feel for Imogen. Like, because like everyone with the exception of like maybe two people in all of humanity have experienced rejection <laughs> at some point. Um, and so like, this is rejection on like times a thousand, right? Yeah. Oh, even just thinking about it, I feel like I'm getting embarrassed and like cringy. Cause like that would hurt so bad. Well, so bad. Also, from Imogen's perspective, she can't literally, she cannot ask anyone else to do this for her. Like, this is the only person she can touch and not kill. Like she has no other options. Yep. And he's like, no, I'm okay. Thank you. Bye. Well, even worse. Cause he tells her not to touch him at all. And like, that was their whole game plan to, you know, filter out the, uh, curse by touching him. And he just takes it on. So like, not only is he rejecting her sexually, but also rejecting her like, no, you're just going to be stuck with this curse for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeesh, man, that that is very aggressive. Well, because it's also been like, so it seems very quick for us as the reader, because uh, it's been like two pages since she got to Teneroth, right? But she's been here for mm-hmm. a month. Um, so like, you would assume they've been spending every day together, like they're going on, they're basically dating for a month. And <laughs> <laughs> True. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, here's some sexy pictures, but I don't think of you that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's so aggressive when you think it, like, when you put it that way, it's like, Jesus. Oh, our poor Imogen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is a this is something that I think that happens in Master of Crows, too, where she's like. <gasps> yeah, it does, doesn't uh-huh. it? Like, they have some kind of, like, cute scene, and then he's like, Ugh, no. And it's like, how else are you going to take that except badly? <laughs> yeah. I think the author really likes to make her heroine suffer a little bit, which, like, I'm on board yeah. with. Like, please. <laughs> Fair. It's just depresso. Um, and so Imogen's, like, super depressed about the whole thing, you know, crying in the rain, Paramore songs. Um, but then she kind of decides that she's going to go yell at Sedata and be like, stop being a dick. Like, you know, okay, you're not going to touch me, but please don't take away you know, the potential to remove my curse just because you don't want to have sex with me, uh, basically. Um, And then she finds him also having an emo teen moment, um, sitting in the rain by himself too, which I thought was funny because apparently emo teen moments are universal across all creatures that exist (laughs) into eternity. (laughs) Fair. Um, And so Imogen basically explained that she's like, sorry, that she kind of overstepped her bounds, um, but she really needs him to help break her curse still. Uh, And then Sedata kind of like, Akko, you know, explains that he didn't quite mean not to touch him ever, but more to like not touch him than there at that time. Uh, And then, you know, they go back and forth one or two times, but with like very little negotiating. Uh, Sade decides that, uh, yes, he will, in fact, uh, you know, teach her all of those things on the wall and be her uh, sex instructor, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So uh, and then, yeah. <laughs> OK, so this is like a a trope, I want to say, like the sex instructor trope is a thing, especially in like Regency romance novels. Um, like 
like and the degrees of graphic description vary depending on like (laughs) (laughs) depending on the author in the book right but the whole like uh specifically regency romance like spinster heroine like has never been touched by a man before uh just needs someone to show her the ways before she like retires into spinsterhood and then it turns into love and everyone lives happily ever after that's totally a thing but there's also a book and um it's called the lady's tutor and (laughs) it's exactly what i've never read this (laughs) oh (laughs) um I picked this book up because I think I saw it on a recommended list. And I want to say I picked this book up at the age of 15. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> you had your own tutor I, of a sort. Yep. I didn't realize it was erotica until I was like 30 pages in. I'm like, why is there so much sex in this book? And I'm like, oh, that's the entire book. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, That's kind of how I felt reading A Master of Crows too because it it feels like a regular book until you get about like 45% in and then it's like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> this is fine. It's still a good book, but like aggressive, <laughs> very, right? Um so yeah, like this is this whole thing is is weird between Sedata and Imogen, but it's definitely a a trope across different genres. <laughs> Yeah. It is interesting to me, though, that the trope is always along uh, societal norm lines. Mm -hmm. Like, it's always the guy that's the, like, instructor, so to say. Um, Because I don't think I've read any books where it's reverse, where the girl is uh, more uh, worldly and the guy is... um... Oh, except I feel like... uh, Throne of Glass, uh, you get that like little moment between um, the blonde witch, uh, the scary one. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. I feel like we get maybe a little bit of that there. But not uh, nearly to the same extent. Dorian. Yeah, not at all. Because um, it would be nice to get something that's like reversed. Because I feel like um, there's movies that are like it a little bit, but so, maybe not books. Again, like going back to like pure historical romance, um, that kind of exists, but it's not. It's still not even the same because you get um, like the courtesan makes good, right? Like, oh, or like, oh, mm-hmm. the the lord's mistress make like she knows everything to do in the bedroom, but she's like emotionally naive, right? Like, there's always something yeah. to like balance it, balance it out. Um, and it's never like mm-hmm. fully no completely inexperienced dude doesn't know shit about women like and this girl's like <laughs> I'll show you that <laughs> I haven't read oh that ever God. I I haven't either I feel like we're missing something there is um you know a missing portion of the fantasy romance genre that we have now identified <laughs> I don't know that okay so it's missing I don't know that I would lean towards reading that like that would not be my a book i would normally like straight to i could see that i don't know i feel like there could be ways that it could be done well like maybe you get like a prince or who's like super sheltered and like maybe like bookish or just has been like focusing on the wrong things and then you know he meets someone and uh she uh introduces him to the world of uh pleasure (laughs) because I don't know. It could be well done, potentially, but 
maybe not the first one or two attempts into that section of the genre, but maybe like a third attempt uh, that someone writes well, you know, maybe. Katie, we've identified a gap. <laughs> Let's write it. Just not explicitly. Oh my God. I, <laughs> LOL. <laughs> I'll just need someone to write all the sex we would scenes need for a, me. <laughs> we would need so many fade to black scenes because I ain't writing that. No. <laughs> uh, nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm totally fine with reading it, but like writing it, I would just be embarrassed the entire mm-hmm. time. <laughs> nope. Can't do it. Uh, but yeah, in our book, we're immediately treated to a quite raunchy sex scene. Um, and I will say that this is something... Uh, in all Miss Draven's books that I have read, um, there are some like raunchy sex scenes, uh, a time and a place for it, for sure. Um, I'm just not going to talk about it in any kind of detail on the podcast. Yeah, we won't be discussing um, that. I, so I will say what I like about her books, like, I don't like graphic descriptions like that in books. I tend to like try and skim over them, but I will say when she does it, it's the right timing in the plot. And she usually mm, doesn't mm-hmm. do them, like, all over the book. It's, like, one or two dedicated scenes, and that's all you get. Yeah, I will agree with that. Because I feel like, um, so the first Akatar book, like, maybe the first and half of the second, uh, she does something similar where you have, like, one dedicated scene, and it's like, okay, we got it out of the way. Like, now back to the plot. Like, it's not going to be raunchy moments continually um but it kind of devolved after the first second or first you know one or two books and then especially with uh what is the one with cassian and nesta oh uh, uh, a court of silver flames i think yeah that one definitely devolved where it's I couldn't you know every other one. chapter there's no way <laughs> i just i couldn't do it and maybe that's um that was kind of straying into that like the more experienced or like equally experienced female lead. Oh, that is true. Yeah, because she kind of had her uh, adventures before mm-hmm. they got together. Yeah, that is true. But um, yeah, I feel like that's probably the division between erotica and romance is like, um, is the sex part of the plot or is it just like a cute moment and then you go back to the regular exactly. plot? Because I don't think A Court of Silver Flames had a plot. <laughs> I I was so mad about that because I really wanted to read her story. Um, mm-hmm. and it was just I did too. Kind of meh. It was just sex. Yeah, it was just sex. It's <laughs> like the smattering like, of other. It's fine. Like we're not prudish. Like look at the look at this book yep. that we're reviewing right now. But yeah, uh, it, yeah. there just needs to be more to push the story along. Exactly. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's like there are other uh, forms of media, if that's what you're looking for. But I would like plot, please. (laughs) Uh, But really, the most important part um, of the storyline of their sex, you know, scapade after however many pages is that Sedata sleeps for the first time in like eight bajillion years, um, obviously proving that while he may be helping take away Imogen's curse, he's for sure killing himself in the process and becoming more human uh, as he's never actually needed to sleep for however many years, Mm -hmm. millennium potentially. Um, So we flash forward again and uh, Sedata and Imogen are playing check. Checkers, I think. Like some sort of chess checkers board game situation. 
Yeah, some sort of something. And then, uh, so Sedata reveals that he first took the living waters, which is some mystical, magical water stream thing that makes you live forever. Um, because he thought he needed more time to consolidate his lands and power um, more than he would have in one lifetime. And so they're kind of talking back and forth. And then Imogen asks, you know, like why exactly he became Sedata the Butcher instead of Sedata the Fair. And uh, oof, uh, <laughs> Sedata says <laughs> that after quelling a rebellion in the city of Mur, uh, I immediately stopped. Do you remember that uh, Instagram audio? Uh, it's like Jesus talking to Judas. And he's like, Jesus, I've brought you myrrh. And he's like, oh, thank you. And he, murder. And then stabs him. I, maybe I need to like play the audio. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can like cut it into the thing. It's the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, anyway, after quelling rebellion in myrrh, uh, he wanted to make an example of the city. So he basically slaughtered everyone, women, children, old people. Everyone. Like everyone. Used his soldiers to just go on a killing spree. And I think, again, this is like a Roman thing. I don't know if I don't know if the Romans did this. I'm not a Roman historian, but I think the Romans, the Greeks, <laughs> or the Persians at some point in history probably did something like this when they were taking control of lands. Um yeah. uh the Spartans did, didn't they? I, it wouldn't surprise me. They threw babies over cliff. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it seems on par. Yeah. <laughs> like by any, like we're not justifying this at all, but like the, oh, just no. yeah. the accuracy, accuracy, like this actually happens. Like this is a fantasy setting and it seems extreme, but like, eh, you know, humans did this. So, yep. That's, <laughs> that's a thing that we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and so Imogen immediately has a very visceral response to this. And she's like, what the fuck? And uh, runs away to go cry in the city somewhere alone. And I have mixed feelings about this bit. Your face because, is exactly uh, how I felt about this. <laughs> you you hear a name like Sedata the Butcher. And uh, what what were you expecting? Yeah, like it's going to like he obviously murdered people like. You don't get the name the butcher because you like you like steak, okay? It's just that's not how it <laughs> yeah. Works. This is not some like fun little oh, I just you know uh, cut up animal meat in my free time and you know I smoke a lot of pork or something. And it's like no, he probably murdered several hundred people. Like, and the dude was so bad. Like people destroyed his face on all his statues. He like erected that effigy type cataphlac thing. In the very beginning mm-hmm. to like remind him of his never ending death. Uh yeah. Like what what do you expect, honey? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So I thought her like it makes sense because it'd be hard to hear, you know, the guy that you just lost your virginity to um is kind of a fucked up person. But also like why are you surprised? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so once Imogen kind of runs away to go cry or whatever, uh, the mist transforms into Sedata's last wife, whose name is Grua. Mm-hmm. We'll just go with that. Um, and we kind of get a little tidbit that she was the one that cursed him to be stuck in Tanaroth forever. So he literally can't leave. Um, she is mist so that she can haunt him basically for the rest of his yeah, that eternity was, i think it was a trade-off like in exchange for this curse on him 
like she was also cursed to like remain with him. But I think it's mm. it's never quite set out right, but his immortality isn't tied to the city of Teneroth. Like it's the curse that is. Um Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Um and so Grua uh, as this like missed Wraith, she's like, you dumb bitch, uh, she's going to leave forever. Like, way to go. And he's like, well, um, could you ever forgive me for what happened in Mer? And I just imagine that she gives him some kind of like snotty side eye. Like, are are you like actually asking me that right now? <laughs> like you slaughtered my whole home city and you're asking if I could forgive you? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like that's something that's brought up quickly is Gru- Grua was from Mer. And mm-hmm. she led the, did you, do you get into that? Uh, a little bit, but do you want to talk about it? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Grua led the rebellion, <laughs> led the rebellion against Sedata. Cause like he was consolidating all his lands and powers. And like, like we said, his children tried to kill him and like did all these revolts against him. Like Grua led a rebellion from the city of Mir, Mer and like, in punishment, he made an example out of Mur by murdering her, like went like in a church or something. She and a bunch of women and children were sheltering oh, yeah. in like a a building, and like he came in and was like, "Nah, fuck you all. I'm like example time." Um, yeah, fucking awful. Yeah. Like just god awful. <laughs> Really horrible. And so uh, Grua kind of like shows this to Imogen. Like she kind of pops up as a mist wraith or whatever and then gives uh, Imogen like a ghost uh, puppet show of all of this happening so that Imogen understands all of the backstory uh, behind Sedata the Butcher. And so uh, Sedata comes to like find Imogen eventually and answers her questions about the mists and Grua until um, Imogen kind of has this light bulb moment based on his comments. And she's like, wait a second, uh, you're not actually immune to my curse, are you? Like, I'm accidentally killing you, but you're doing it on purpose. And she kind of like squints at him and she's like, you asshole, like you're trying to die and redeem yourself. And he's like, no, I don't think I'll ever be redeemed. Um, I'm just ready to like not live anymore, which fair, because he has been alive for a very long time. Um, And then this part was a little bit uh, like out of the blue. Um, We get an internal like recollection from Imogen and she's like, sigh, you know, I love him, but why is he got to be this way? And it felt very fast. Yeah, that it she... did. It was just as fast as the like, oh, please have sex with me, but I don't want to. But oh, I'll do it anyway. Like, it's yeah, the same speed is it's wrong. Yeah, and that's probably if this book was like a little bit longer, that would feel more like a wow moment instead of like, oh shit, she already like loves him. Like what? You know. Something uh, I kind of yeah. struggled with, like, on the reread of this one is how casually she kind of gets by the, like, she has a very visceral reaction to, like, oh, Sedata the Butcher, um, and then learning about what exactly happened. But she quickly, like, overcomes it. And and as a reader, like, how could you ever overcome something like that? But then you think of, like, people, like, real people who have mm-hmm. relationships with murderers and like the scum yeah. of humanity and they just are able to not 
even knowing the bad things that someone has done, you're still willing to overlook them because you love them. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so not to get on a tangent, but I feel like Sedata feels bad for what he did, but he never says it, like never talks about like feeling guilty at all. Like he kind of almost talks about it in his like internal monologues as if it's just like, fact like he's like yep i did that but there's no you know second comment about feeling bad about he, doing he's it. kind of a one-dimensional character like yeah he's only this suffering undying king like you don't get any like it would have been super interesting to get some pov changes from when he was like sedata the fair mm. um yeah I love that. That would be good. Some like a uh, flashback mm-hmm. montage thing. I think it'd develop him out as a character. Yeah. And that kind of goes back around to like, this is an outline of a book rather than even a novella. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so later that night, Sedata, again, uh, in his whole Twilight moment, uh, goes to watch Imogen sleep again. And she kind of wakes up and she's sort of like sad and weepy about the whole thing. And she says something along the lines of like, I don't want to hate you like they did, as in referring to his other wives. And he says he doesn't want that either because he's no longer that same person. And so Imogen's like, okay, fair. And then lets him into her bed, which again, Mm. like this kind of suffers the same, like, like that's it. Like he says he's not that same person, but like, but where's the proof home dog? <laughs> I think this is like evidence that this is a good example of a character so bad. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't, yeah. it shouldn't work. Like this is not something that you, yeah. would, like you can forgive a lot of like in, in this genre, there's a lot of very, very dark characters, a lot of dark themes. And like, there's always a line, right? Where, mm-hmm. You can suspend reality for the setting, for some of the the actions of the character, because it works in the setting with the other characters. But I just don't think this works. No. I It could work if we were later treated to a moment where he makes some, like, her, I can never say that word, uh, Herculean, right? Yeah, Herculean uh, effort to, like, redeem himself. So, like, um, maybe there's a city that's about to be, like, put to the torch, you know, because they're trying to find Sedata and they can't find him. And they're like, we're going to burn this whole city if you don't, you know, submit yourself. Um, And he sacrifices himself, you know, to save a whole city or something. Like, I feel like you would need an act of that scale to really redeem him as a character and kind of skate past his past. But his um, his whole burning alive thing, I think, is part of that. Yeah. Doesn't Grua uh, reveal that to yeah. her? Oh yeah, we kind of skated past that part. But um, <laughs> when uh, Grua is doing the like mist puppet show thing, she's showing Sedata getting like burned at the stake and cut into a bunch of little pieces. And obviously, he's immortal, so he's feeling all of this, and then has to also uh, put up with getting put back together by the living waters. Um, and that's when he met Neve. Mm-hmm. Uh, was when he was being put back together. And that which, was the yeesh. tipping point for Imogen to be like, okay, well, I still love you. <laughs> like, 
Like it was mm-hmm. seeing that suffering. Yeah. And so I wonder if that's that mechanism that you're talking about with um, like a mm. Herculean effort. But I, we don't know if like Sedata was like captured and tied down and forced to go through that or if he was like, no, I, I done fucked up. I just need to let this happen. Um, yeah. Because also, though, like um, him getting like burned at the stake and put back together. There's no uh, like voluntary choice in that on his like behalf. Like that's something that happened to him. And then the living waters forced him to come back to life. So it's not like he had to do anything to like redeem himself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was probably excruciatingly painful. And he obviously didn't do any bad things after that. But is one person being tortured like no, it's, equivalent to a whole? That's why I think it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean. I don't. I can't think of a single like type of sacrifice or effort that could potentially redeem this kind of character. I can't think of yeah. anything. Yeah. So it's it's, it's a little uh, disconcerting that she just immediately is like, "Okay, you can come get back into bed with me." Uh, but <laughs> that's how these things go, <laughs> apparently. Um, so we flash back to the scary wizard man, and he has finally, uh, amidst a bloody nose and weeks of trying, um, has made the bridge appear, and he's like, heck yeah, I am going to ride into Teneroth. I'm going to take the girl, take my treasure, and dip out. Um, then we immediately get pulled back into Sedata's point of view and he kind of like yeets himself out of bed because he's got like a warning signal that's going off that tells him that um, you know there's enemy forces in Teneroth and so he runs and grabs his armor and his weapons and he goes to fight whoever's entered the city so Grua mist her like mist body appears and she wakes up Imogen and she's like okay we gotta dip out like there is something going on and so she takes Imogen to an abandoned building far from the palace where she should be safe and so Imogen is terrified for Sedata because, like, you know, it's a whole huge company group of soldiers coming in to try to kill him. And she's very concerned about him. And so she's, like, watching from the window. And she thinks it's going okay until all of a sudden she is bonked on the back of the head and blacks out. And then uh, we switch to... <laughs> Couldn't see that one coming. <laughs> Oh, this is so unique. Um, We switched to Creepy Wizard's point of view. And he and we find that he peeled off as all of his soldiers are being brutally murdered by Sedata um, because he sees, you know, a dark haired woman in the window of a building. And he's like, there's not supposed to be anyone here except the princess. I'm guessing that is the princess. And she is tucked away somewhere safe. Ha ha. I know what we can do to make Sedata stop murdering people. And so he snuck up behind her, bopped her on the head, and then he yells out across the city with like a magically magnified voice. He's like, you know, King Sedata, looky here, like I got your bitch. And uh, obviously Sedata has no choice but to stop killing all of the soldiers and stop because, you know, they have Imogen. And so we flash again to Imogen's point of view and she wakes up in the back of a wagon that's uh, being taken out away from Teneroth. And she immediately panics and she's like, oh my God, where is Sedata? And she tries to jump off the wagon, but then she spots Sedata and he's like tied up behind them and being like dragged along behind the horses. Um, But then, oh no, she remembers Grua's curse and how Sedata is not able to leave Teneroth. 
And so uh, that still applies to this current situation. And all of a sudden, the bridge starts to disappear underneath them. And so obviously we cue to some crazy chaos and everyone starts to like panic and start running before this bridge totally disappears. And Imogen is forced to watch as the bridge disappears right underneath a bruised and beaten Sedata's feet. And he is yeeted down into the (laughs) abyss. (laughs) But like, what is she worried about? Like it's Sedata, like he's going to (laughs) live, obviously. I know. I, she was very concerned about him not being alive, but like he, he was burned to death and cut apart into pieces maybe, and came back as a skeleton. Maybe in light of her curse, like him sucking her curse away. Oh, yeah. It's like immortality isn't as immortality yeah. full. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> However, you'd put that into real people words. <laughs> um, and so again, time has passed and we get Imogen's point of view and she's now at a court with her, you know, husband to be, uh, Hayden, I think is his name. And I love this description of him. Like I got everything I needed from this like one line. So it's charming, handsome, and with a sharp wit, Hayden of Castagir oozed insincerity. That savage, (laughs) just fucking savage. Like I know exactly what type of person this is. Like you don't need to give me any more descriptors. Like we all know someone like this. Oh, I love it. I was, I like kind of like, out loud when I was reading that the first time. Uh, yeah, savage as fuck, holistic description of a character. You don't need anything else. But also, um, uh, and guest on anyone like. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes I wish readers slash listeners could see you and your <laughs> reactions to some of these reveals. Oh my god, that is guest on. <laughs> I need a second. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. Uh, So Gaston, i.e. Hayden, uh, he tells Imogen not so nicely that, you know, she can't just huddle up in her rooms for the rest of her life. Um, And then he walks away to get ready for the solstice party or some dinner party or something. I think it's the solstice party. Um, Because, like, obviously Imogen is, you know, back to square one. She still can't touch anyone or else they'll immediately die. And yet she's at court where everyone, you know, tries to party and have a good time. But, like, everyone, obviously, for reasonable reasons, are keeping a distance from her uh, because they don't want to accidentally die. And so... um, uh, uh, yeah, actually, I don't think we covered this before, but so an important note is that Teneroth is only uh, like accessible, um, for a few weeks around the summer solstice. And so Imogen is kind of like running out of time to try to get back if she wants to try to escape. And so, um, but before she can kind of like start to really make any concrete plans to try to escape and get back to Teneroth before the summer solstice, um, Mr. Creepy Wizard appears and asks if Imogen knows like why she was even cursed I in the first place. I love this part so much. This was such like, yeah, such a cool twist in the story. Like, yep, perfection. I loved it. Yes. So Imogen, obviously not really knowing where her curse even came from, um, is informed that before she was born, uh, King Varn, uh, yes, if you listen to the first part of this podcast and you remember that King Varn, um, had a nice little situationship. There we go. Uh, Skipped over several vowels. A situationship with Neve. Um, But he had to cut it off 
um, because he was engaged to be wed to a princess from another kingdom, i.e. Imogen's mom. Uh-oh. Yeah. We so, obviously. Uh, so, I don't think we, I, didn't use King Varn's name in part one. Oh. I, like, he was just some random king that Neve had a, you know, thing <laughs> with. So, yeah, King Varn is the name. That, that one. <laughs> and so, Neve obviously, um, like any person, uh, would be very upset about just being cut off and then your homeboy is engaged and marries some other woman. Um, and so she may or may not have cursed our dear Imogen on accident, um, hoping to curse the mother instead. Uh, yeah, because the mom was pregnant with Imogen and the curse just, okay, we're going straight to uh, the little baby. And so Creepy Wizard also reveals uh, that no one figured out she was cursed uh, Imogen was cursed until Imogen had accidentally killed both of her parents and two nurses with her touch because she's a baby and uh, you obviously have to feed a baby and touch a baby because they cry a lot. Uh, yeah, accidentally killed both of her parents. Oof. Um, until finally, you know, this is continuing this killing spree uh, until the king's sister uh, had baby Imogen kidnapped and she planned to be taken to a local well uh, where she would be drowned. <laughs> and so Neve heard of this plot and she's a little bit distraught about the whole thing because uh, she did not intend for a curse of this magnitude or to curse a innocent child. And so she intercepts the plot and takes Imogen to be her own daughter. But okay, so she still puts a death curse on another person because she's jealous. Yeah. Like, that's pretty <laughs> awful. Yeah. Yep. Which I, so I don't love the fact that like, uh, she cursed someone and did such kind of a heinous thing, but I love a character like that, that has, you know, two sides. Cause like Neve, you know, was okay to be sequestered in, you know, solitude for the rest of her life with Imogen to, you know, make amends for what she did. Um, but she still like raised Imogen as like a her child and they have like a loving relationship, you know, in the beginning of the book before she died. Like it makes me wonder though. I respect it. <laughs> like the whole a character having two sides. So Neve curses oh like intends to curse a person to kill every like literally anyone they touch. Could be hundreds of thousands of people. Um Yeah. And King Sedata gives the order to have hundreds of thousands of people murdered. Like, hmm. so is there a huge difference there? No, but I feel like Neve had a redemption arc for it, whereas Sedata didn't. Because like Neve, uh, she did the curse. She's like, oh, okay. And then she raises Imogen as her own child for the next 20 years, 18 years. So it's like, you're not totally redeemed, but you at least made steps to address your wrong, uh, wronghood. Cause even, uh, right before she dies, she's like, I'm so sorry. Like I had hoped that, uh, you know, someone will be able to fix your curse. Like I fucked up bad. I'm so sorry. You're eventually going to find out. Uh, but Sedata doesn't have like, well, no, so he moment. doesn't have, a like he's burned alive for his crimes. He doesn't have a, a redemption arc, but like, does he deserve a redemption arc? Like, gi Ooh, given the opportunity. Controversial. Like, Neve had an opportunity. That's fair. Like, Sedata never had one. That is true. 
Hmm. Controversial opinions, Jordan. I love it. I mean, because <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so Imogen is obviously like, you know, fucked up by the news uh, that she was the one responsible for her parents' death and uh, Neve was the one that did that to her. Um, and now she understands why Neve was begging for her forgiveness on her deathbed. Um, so we fast forward another couple days to the actual um, solstice party. And I think it's like the morning after. So it's the end of the summer solstice. And Imogen uses everyone's hangover as an opportunity to quietly slip out of the castle and head out onto the road for Teneroth. And so she's like quite successful, like surprisingly so, like she doesn't really have any issues until she gets to the crossing where the bridge was and the bridge isn't there um, because she doesn't have that creepy skin key thing because Sedata took it um, when she first got there. And so she's stuck on the wrong side of the abyss with no way to get <laughs> back over. But in the distance, uh, she can hear the sounds of pursuing dogs and soldiers. Oh, no. And so, uh, hoping to the dear Lord Almighty that Sedata is close enough to hear her, um, she just kind of like screams across the canyon uh, and she's like, Sedata, I'm here, please help me. Um, and then uh, the bridge shimmers into existence and Imogen immediately, you know, like sends it across the bridge uh, and launches herself into Sedata's waiting arms as the soldiers appear on the other side of the canyon. But the bridge blinks out of existence as the summer solstice has passed and uh, they are safe together, cute, adorable. Um, so they have another little like rated R reunion, uh, smutty scene, smutty scene, et cetera, et cetera. And afterwards, Sedata asks Imogen why she even came back um, because, you know, I thought you hated me. We kind of worked past it, but then you got kidnapped. And Imogen is like, well, I came back because you're here. And so Sedata explains that Teneroth is cursed, though. And so it's unchanging. It's going to be this way, the same weather, the same everything every day forever. And she's like, uh, yeah, that's fine. I thought about it and I'd rather be here. And uh, he also explains that he thinks that Neve overestimated his like magic powers because he's really only able to lessen the effects of her curse, not get rid of it completely. And so Imogen is just like, eh, shrug, whatever, um, and says, in a quote, uh, maybe by the time you've leached enough of this malice out of my blood, we'll both be old and can die together. Uh, charming, morbid, <laughs> but uh, charming. And... Uh, then we reach the end of the story with a cute little morbid, charming, happy ending. <laughs> so I feel kind of conflicted <laughs> at the ending, like this happy ending of this book. Yeah. Because um, there are good things about like the writing and some of the characters. And like we've already talked about how much we love Grace Draven. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, this is a tough one. Yeah. I don't know that we have anything more to like dissect about the story because we talked about the redemption arc issues we talked about it being more outline than you know full novella or novel um i don't think i have any comments left uh i will say yeah, though I think kind of it was it was good i don't know i would read it for a second time but i would read a full-length novel version of it i think that's my yes, final i I could not agree more. And you know what? I will, There are some other uh, – totally agreed, by the way, on the analysis piece. I think we've kind of 
We've definitely dived a little bit deeper <laughs> on the synopsis of this one. <laughs> we can go deeper. But, so Grace. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this. Uh, we just found it. We did go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> if you want to go deeper into Grace Draven's work, <laughs> um, she some of her other novellas are, I think, are better without, mm-hmm. like, the caveats of, caveats of this one. Um, so something I... I I prefer in novellas is if the characters that they're centered around have a pre-existing like relationship, whatever that may be. Mm. Like, so you're kind of dropped into a story as it's already going on. Um, so there is a um, one of her other novellas is called Gaslight Hades, I think, and that's what that does is like you're introduced to two characters who already know each other, so the relationship doesn't seem as quick and as forced. Um, so i would i feel like there's another master oh no go ahead oh no i was just gonna say for like the 10th time master (laughs) of crows please yes Uh, but also (laughs) like her other short stories are are very good that's what i was gonna say so there's another um i don't know if it's a short read oh yeah no it's only 297 pages um radiance did you read that jordan Oh, I did. Yes, that's yeah, cute. Yeah, that's another cute one. I, I don't know that it's as good as Master of Crows, but it's still like pretty good. I thought that one was cute. And then and that's, that has its own universe too, the Wraith mm-hmm. King series. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because there's multiple books in it, but I think it's, you could read the first one and be like, okay, I got what I need. Um, but if you wanted more, mm-hmm. there's more in there. But definitely Master of Crows. That's, that's like top tier romance fantasy for me. <laughs> I think I've yeah, read it like uh, me too. three or four times, maybe like every couple of years, I'll be like, oh, I'll read this again. Yeah, I think I've only I've read it maybe twice, I think. So I'm looking forward to reading reading it again some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cute. Yeah. Grace Draven is, is like almost an auto purchase for me the minute she has a new book. I could see that. Um, yeah. I so I didn't connect the dots ever. So I've apparently according to my goodreads like i've read multiple of her books but i never connected the dots that she is the same author of all of them uh (laughs) yeah because i did not know that the radiance like wraith king series was written by grace draven i.e the same author as master of crows yep did not even there was no higher thought (laughs) into these book purchases so funny enough, Radiance, that's the first book in the Wraith King series, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our, our friend Rob, who came up last episode, who's going to be reading Twilight with us. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he did a fun experiment with the chat GBT where he asked, um, he asked the chat bot, like, what's the most like underrated uh, romantic fantasy book? Oh, and yeah. Chat GBT responded with Radiance by Grace Draven, which I thought, yep. like, yes, victory for, for, for <laughs> yes. us and for everyone who reads this genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave a very detailed explanation of uh, why it's, like, a great book, because it talks about cultural differences and having mm-hmm. a relationship that crosses cultures. And, yeah, so, again, like, Grace Draven does a lot of really cool things, and yes. she does them very well. And I feel like they're unique, too. Like, obviously, this one was based off of, like, Beauty and the Beast and stuff, but... uh 
obviously, if you're not quite as smart as Jordan is, uh, I did not even connect the dots. <laughs> I don't know about that. I have the benefit of having read this story before oh, and then reading okay. it again. So. That's fair. Yeah. But um, I feel like they're unique because Master Crows, I don't think I've read anything even similar no. to the characters, similar to like... It, it, it's a little light on plot, I will admit, but there's definitely like mm -hmm. a significant plot there. I don't think I've read anything like that at all. And then uh, Radiance too. I don't think I've read like, you know, the two people coming together for a forced marriage from different cultures. Like that's been done a lot, but you don't even think about that when you're reading that book. Like Radiance, like it, it feels unique when you're reading it for the first time. There's so many other things going on. What, so... What I really liked about Master of Crows, though, is that the heroine is super memorable. Yes. Like, like yep. It's been a couple of years since I read it last, and I remember distinctly that the heroine is described as like a very plain woman, like, mm -hmm. and that whole like plain heroine trope, but she's got a heart of gold thing, like that's way overdone. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love it. It's one of my favorite <laughs> tropes to read. Um, <laughs> but she's. Uh, she kind of engages the like the hero, the male lead of that story, because she's got this beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. Like that's her shtick. Mm -hmm. um, so very memorable, cool characters. I love the fact too in that one that even though she's described uh, as plain, like that's consistent because there's a lot of other fantasy romance books where the main character is described as plain, but then you get all these like insights into, you know, men liking her and thinking she's beautiful. So it like doesn't really feel authentic, but there's times in masters of crow uh, or master of crows, <laughs> just making everything plural uh, where the like main hero uh, protagonist is like, yeah, she's, pretty plain but like weirdly i'm attracted to her and i'm like thank you for having something like consistent throughout the whole book like it's not you know oh yeah she's plain and then it's you know supermodel it's like no she's just a regular ass woman uh and then their relationship develops i appreciated that yeah i did too i i really enjoyed that aspect as well mm -hmm. so yeah do you want to reveal our next book <laughs> <laughs> i I have been waiting to reveal our next book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm always excited to talk about it, our, our next book. Um, so this one is not something that we, it's not a book that we had on our like to be read list at all. No. Mm -hmm. um, a very uh, kind YouTuber uh, responded to our channel and asked us to review Graceling. Ah. So thank you to <laughs> at what I like to do. Um, that was, that was a great uh, recommendation. And so I asked Katie about it and, you had read it before. Uh, I had. So I read this when I was probably like 16, 17, you know, that like foundational fantasy romance time period. And I loved Graceling. Like I love the character. <laughs> I love the plot. It was so cute. And like having now going to be able to read it for the second time, I'm excited to see it through like adult eyes and enjoy it. So I'm thrilled excited i forgot this book even existed but now i am excited <laughs> for part two <laughs> and i like i had heard of this book but i'd never read it and it is a staple in this yes. in this genre right yes like, so this will be a good one yep i'm so excited uh, good recommendation <laughs> yes thank you again mm -hmm. um well with that i think we're ready to kind of wrap up so yeah. um from our shelf to yours we'll see you on the next page
readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.